0: Hi, I'm Mike Dilke, and you're listening to the Relax Back UK Show, a show that explores all kinds of health topics relevant to you, your family, and your friends. Each week I talk to expert guests from a range of backgrounds to inform and entertain you. So please do join the Relax Back UK family and stay tuned. Hi and welcome to the Relax Back UK Show. First of all, what's been discussed here? It's something that I do
1: quite a lot of and I really enjoy. That it's not just being in young women they're also white they also tend to be on the richer side you know there's yeah. definitely um, some issues with representation
0: the topic is yoga i chat to yoga teacher sarah highfield about her work how she got started out as a yoga teacher and the om yoga show uh, which is in london on october 13th to 15th she's going to be teaching classes there and i will be there as well exhibiting the back app chair Uh, and there'll also be some details of how to get free tickets to that later on then from something that is good for you to something that can kill you
2: heart valve problems develop over a long period of time so so if the valve becomes narrowed or leaky the patient develops symptoms over a period of months or even years so it's quite easy for them to ignore it or put it down to something else or not take it seriously
0: consultant dr jonathan Byrne. And also MP Steve McCabe, who suffered from it, talk about heart valve problems. So please do stay tuned for a great show. Thank you. This show is cool! So my first guest today is yoga teacher Sarah Highfield, who will be giving lessons at the OM Yoga show, which is on the 13th of October to the 15th of October at Alexandra Palace in London. It's a huge event, loads of different yoga demonstrations and workshops I'll be exhibiting there I'll be showing the back out chair which is a wonderful chair if you are worried about your posture or you suffer from back pain when you're sitting at your desk there will be a chance to win one if you come along so please do come along to the event I have five pairs of free tickets uh, to give out Uh, those will go to people who the first people that send me an email saying why they want to go there so there'll be a Five tickets available, five pairs of tickets available. My email is mike at relaxbackuk.com. That's mike at relaxbackuk.com. All you have to do is send me an email saying why you want to go to the Om Yoga show. And the first five will win. Um, I started my chat with Sarah by asking her about her company and how she got started with yoga.
1: Great, um, my name is Sarah Highfield, and I'm a yoga teacher. I'm based in London, um, but I also travel internationally to teach. And uh, my company is called Yoga YogaJize. So the strapline to the company is energized through yoga. And through those words, I came up with Yoga YogaJize. And I'll be honest, I was a little bit drunk when I came up with that, but <laughs> I was online looking at other names of yoga companies which weren't taken. And that was literally the only one that wasn't taken. So uh, I was very In my my
0: experience, (laughs) all the best names of companies or businesses, um, when they arrived at a little bit of alcohol is involved, actually.
1: Yes. Yeah. Helps with their creativity. I think so. (laughs) Anyway, so I've been teaching yoga full time now for eight years. And um, I qualified as a yoga teacher back in 2015. Prior to that, I worked in PR. And um, I left my PR job to become a yoga teacher because at the time I was obsessed with work-life balance and I wasn't getting that in my PR job. And anyone who works in PR or just probably anyone who works in an office, and especially back then, can probably relate that it was long hours, didn't really feel like much money. And you do wonder where your life is heading. You're just sort of sitting behind a computer every day and toiling away and wishing you are outside or had more flexibility or could just go for lunch when you want to and these were things that I was battling so I eventually left that job and decided to retrain and become a yoga teacher and um, enjoy being self-employed and being my own boss and sort of living in a way that was much more enjoyable for me Um, so that's how I became a yoga teacher. Uh, and Had had you been doing
0: yoga before that up to that point as as like a hobby? Yes yes
1: yes absolutely so When I first started yoga, I did my first yoga class when I was a teenager, but it it didn't really resonate or uh, spark much interest. And then after university, I did the whole backpacking thing around the world, and then obviously I stumbled across some yoga classes, and and I got very interested in in it then. And that was as a backpacker, so you've got lots of time, and everyone's sort of sitting around doing nothing anyway. And then I came back to the UK in London, and throughout my twenties, yoga was very much on and off. You know, in your twenties, you're partying, you're, you're busy with this and that but I would go through periods of doing yoga so I'd do like six months of loads of yoga and then I'd forget about it for a year but then I'd get back into it so it was always sort of there in the background then by the time I got into my early 30s I was much more consistent and um really appreciating the value I was getting from yoga the way it made me feel um and all the enjoyment from it so by the time I was 32 33 that's when I quit my PR job um and became a, a yoga teacher. So, yeah, I, I'd done quite a lot of yoga prior to becoming a teacher. And even in my 20s, I remember thinking that I would like to become a yoga teacher because I, I did enjoy those periods where I was like intense about it. I really enjoyed it. And what held me back at the time was a lot of fear of, I guess, the unknown, even in my late 20s, thinking that I was too old to become a yoga teacher, you know. And now, obviously, I'm, I'm 41. I look back at it laughing thinking that I was too old in my late 20s. Um, but that was something that held me back then. The other thing that stopped me from becoming a yoga teacher was I was worried that it's very inconsistent. I was like, well, how am I going to make money, you know, on a practical level? How is it really going to work? Uh, I was worried about all the competition. I know there's, you know, London is oversaturated with yoga teachers. It's very easy to become a yoga teacher, let's be honest. So a lot of people do their training and they are qualified to teach. And I thought, my God, I'm going to be competing with all of them. And they're more flexible than me or you know in whatever way they are they're more appealing it would be very hard to get work that was the other thing that scared me and then well, like another imagine, reason you don't oh. even
0: have to have a yoga qualification i mean i could set up as a yoga teacher this <laughs> afternoon couldn't i so yeah yes. and i'm, I'm, I'm yes. sure plenty of yoga teachers kind of do that as well so yeah there's
3: yeah. a lot of competition
1: yeah. there's a lot of competition like i said you could literally just say i'm a yoga teacher come and i'll teach you yoga um, obviously, if you go into a studio, they do require like they have accredited bodies that um, manage the yoga teacher trainings. Then you kind of align with them and stuff. But yeah, anyone can be a yoga teacher. So there was a lot of competition. And then the final thing that kind of held me back at the time in my late twenties is I was working in PR, had a nice career going, I was on a nice path. Um, and it's it's hard to sort of step off it when you can see that you know you will progress in your career, you'll make more money, the job will get better. Um, so I was kind of stuck in that lane, I guess. But then right. by the time I got into my early 30s, I was like, oh, my gosh, my work-life balance is not where it is. These are the best years of my life. What am I doing sitting stuck behind a computer? Anyway, so that's how uh, my background in yoga uh, led me to becoming a yoga teacher. So,
0: so what what teacher training did you do, actually? Because, you know, you can do teacher training in Iyengar, various different sorts of uh, yoga. Which, which Which one did you do?
1: So, my yoga teacher training was with a company called Tribe Yoga Teacher Training. So, this was back in 2015. And I picked it because they, uh, they based a lot of their training around the Ashtanga system. And that's how I got into yoga through uh, Ashtanga yoga. So, it's a style of yoga. And it was, at the time, you know, the style that I really liked—it's it's quite powerful. It's like it's very dynamic. You work up a sweat. It feels like quite a strong form of yoga. Um, that's what got me into yoga. And so, when I was looking for the teacher trainings, yeah, I was very aware that there is like the more relaxed trainings and all the different styles of trainings. But this one caught my eye because it was Ashtanga uh, based, and also because they didn't—you know—there there are trainings which are much more spiritual, and they are ones which are less and i'm i'm on the less spiritual end i would say so again it also appealed to me for that reason
0: yeah good all right so you've become a teacher and uh where where do you where do you generally teach how do you go about talking well, to your customers as it were
1: okay so when i first qualified as a yoga teacher so i was back in the uk so i did a one month intensive like a four weeks of a completely immersive non-stop teacher training and that was in the September of 2015 that was in Spain in Andalusia up in the mountains so I was really isolated up there (laughs) I was fully immersed I loved it um so I got back to the UK in October and I remember thinking like oh my god now I'm a yoga teacher I quit my PR job like what next like what do I go back into PR you know I'd, I'd taken the summer off I'd taken a few months off I'd sort of Mm-hmm. One, wondered what to do and then I did my yoga teacher training and so when I was so that, back in the so UK was the
0: four weeks was it was that was, yes. was there any of it before the four weeks or was the whole thing was four weeks
1: the whole thing was four weeks right. the whole training yeah so that's a 200 hour yoga teacher training and it's crammed into four weeks so the training a 200 hour it can be done like that in four weeks or or it can be done over a year it can be done over two years like there's many different formats to it Um, But anyway, when I came back to the UK, I did actually consider going back into PR. I had a lot of friends working in PR. I could always talk to them and see, you know, where the vacancies were. But I thought to myself, and I've done my training, I may as well give it a go. I have thought about it in my 20s. I never did it in my 20s. I'm now, now in my 30s. So give it a go and see what happens. I had savings. So I said to myself, it's October now. I'll give it until Easter next year. If by Easter next year, I'm really not making money, then I can always go back into PR. And that's what happened. So I I then just like I spoke to my, my partner at the time and he's like, look, if you're going to make this a business, you treat it like a real business. Don't think a job is just going to fall in your lap and you're teaching. You know, you need to work full time and you're going to make money. And so he's like, why don't you almost like treat it like a real job, which it is. And I had a spreadsheet, and I even had a timeline of things that I wanted to accomplish, you know, within the next few weeks in order to get me on the ground and running. So I put together a timeline, and I'm good with timelines, having worked in PR, we're always doing them. And I just put all these goals, and I and I listed out all the different yoga studios that I would reach out to, and so on and so forth. So I was being very, very diligent and organized about it all. And then actually the first hurdle I came across was that – um even though I have my qualification, you can't just go into a yoga studio in London and say, "Oh, I'd like to teach you. Know, I've done my teacher training. Here's my certificate. I'm a good teacher." They'll say to you, "Oh, well, you know, you need to have the qualification, but you also need to have five years of experience." And I was kind of like, "What? Well, how do you get experience if you can't? You know, it's it's that cycle that you know it's, it's the same in other jobs. I know that yeah. experience that you can't get a job anyway." I then said to them, because this was a very high profile studio in London, which I won't name. I said to them, OK, so I need five years experience plus my qualification. I said, I know someone who works in your studio, who's got two years experience in their qualification, because I did. And they're like, well, who is it? And I named the person. They're like, oh, yeah, he's a friend. of friend. I was like, so this is how it works. It's not even like it's that strict. You know, friends or friends get in, but everyone else needs experience. So I was like, fine, you know, I won't work here. And then I went to another studio, Um, they said the same thing, and then I went to a studio called Bodyism. They weren't strictly a yoga studio, they were more of a a fitness uh, studio in Notting Hill. And uh, then they said, well, we don't do it just on the experience, you need your qualification, but you need to do a yoga teacher audition. So I taught one of the, the bosses there, I went to her house, also in Notting Hill, so it was just nearby. And... We did a class and she loved it. And then that kind of got my foot in the door. But then aside from bodyism, I decided, look, I'm gonna focus on teaching privately because if you want to make money as a yoga teacher, you need to go private. This is like this is a big piece of advice for anyone who's listening and wants to become a yoga teacher. I mean, you can make money in studios if you want to teach eight classes a day, or you can make you know the same amount of money teaching two or three classes privately so I thought that's the route I really want to go down. With my background in PR, I'm pretty good at selling myself and I'm good at, you know, building relationships with people and explaining the, the value they get from doing private yoga. And so that's sort of the route I went down. And eventually I stopped working with Bodyism after, I don't know, six months or something. And I just really focused on doing my own thing. And at the same time, I I originally set up my company as you know Sarah Hyfer Limited and, and then I changed it to Yogaj's Limited because actually I wanted more of a brand and um so yeah when you ask me where t- I was teaching I was teaching originally at bodyism uh but then mainly privately and I still mainly right. teach privately now. Okay. So um, that was a very long answer.
0: No that's that's fine. Long long is good. So what what sort of people do you find yourself um teaching? Who you know who, who benefits from from you know, your your knowledge and your experience?
1: Everyone, like I have taught a real cross-section of society. I teach men, I teach women, old people, young people, beginners, uh, more advanced yogis, um, people who are stressed out, working, you know, 15-hour days and and bored housewives. You know, there's rich people, there's poor people, like everybody can benefit from yoga. Uh, I, the because... reason I ask
0: that actually is because I so I I've I've done yoga off and on since I was twenty or so, and I'm not twenty anymore. Um, uh, so so this is a long time ago. But what when I look at adverts for you know uh, yoga classes or yoga equipment, all the people in the adverts are beautiful twenty somethings, and yes. it, it kind of drives me nuts because you know I'm not. I I'm a bit fat, and I'm certainly not twenty. And you know a bit of a receding hairline and all that, um, but I suppose I'm lucky because I tried it when I was I was younger and you know I so, and I was drawn to it. But I'm sure a lot of people are kind of put off by this, you know, view that you see on social media that it's only beautiful twenty somethings that do yoga.
1: I mean, I could define it even more. I, I it yeah, so first of all, absolutely agree with you. That's true. But second of all, that's something that I think that the yoga industry is trying to tackle, you know, representation everywhere, not just in the yoga industry is such a big thing at the moment. And so the yoga industry does realize that it's not just being thin, young women, they're also white, they also tend to be on the richer side, you know, there's definitely um, some issues with representation, and they are tackling that like I do see more yoga media and content uh with with more men people with different body shapes and sizes different color skin um because they are trying to appeal to a wider audience yeah. but the truth is um what is often conventionally sexy these young girls, women that sells so when you've got lululemon trying to sell their leggings you can put it on a young tight body or you could put it on bigger like the you know they they follow the figures like what is selling and unfortunately this is something that the whole world and the industry is always trying to tackle i think but yeah i um uh, completely see where you're coming from and why it's an issue and it also i um so, on Yoga Magazine, as you know, which is the magazine behind the festival, I write a monthly column with them, for them, and I tackle these oh, uh, more controversial issues. Yeah.
0: yeah, well, I don't know if it's controversial, it's or maybe it is, it was just uh, my uh, my view of what I see. And the, the other thing that amuses me, or kind of intrigues me, you know, yoga is originally from India, you know, when, when was the last person you saw uh, uh, an Indian at one of your classes, or an Indian yoga teacher? I mean, it's... I just don't see that.
1: Yeah, I mean and um, yeah, like again, it's another issue I would say that the yoga industry battles. Um, I know some really great Indian yoga teachers in London. And you know, magazines such as Om Yoga, they Om Yoga magazine, they do help to raise the profile of these teachers.
3: Right. Um
1: I know that they're Man Man on the Bat, which is like a monthly, like they have a little men's section. I know that their, their teacher, who they're using, actually, I think for the whole year, he's he's Indian, and he was on their cover recently. Okay. So Om Yoga Magazine is helping to, to all right. you know, in that area.
0: Um, all right, let's move on. When Before I spoke to you, I, I I had a little dig around, a little bit of electronic stalking, if you like, and uh, not too drastic. though. I just looked at your website. And uh, one thing you mentioned on your website, you mentioned... Um, you quite often go to workplaces and help people in or places at work. So what are the benefits do you think of uh, having a yoga at work? You know, what, what does the workplace get out of it?
1: Um, I think there are a lot of benefits for doing yoga in the workplace, so long as it's not distracting employees from their work. I'm, I'm sure employees don't want that. But um, if if, for example, and I know some companies do this. They have a yoga teacher who comes in once a week, maybe it's a Friday afternoon or whatever afternoon, just outside of work hours usually. Um, first of all, it's a nice way to get everyone off their devices for an hour and um and to get away from work and those those distractions. It brings everyone together as a little community, I suppose. And um and and First of all, yoga is proven. There are many scientific studies which have shown that yoga does help to reduce stress and anxiety and to help calm your mind. And when you're in a work workplace, usually you are feeling a lot of stress and anxiety. That's just part of working hard, I guess. Uh, but with all of the physical movement and conscious breathing, yoga um, helps you to relax and switch off and uh, disengage from your thoughts.
0: So, have you where you've done that? Has it mainly been in offices? Have you ever done that in any other sort of work environment? Because I, yeah, I don't know. I, I was just wondering, factories, um, supermarkets, just different places.
1: No, I haven't, unfortunately. So, I've done offices. I've been into into schools and taught yoga, oh, um,
0: really? but I haven't. That's yeah. Interesting. What what kind of age groups?
1: Oh, no, it was like a one-off. It was in Dubai. I, My my nieces and nephews are at a school there, and they were like, oh, can you come and teach? Um, can you come and teach yoga? And then I just did it one other time in the UK. Again, it's sort of as a favor. Um, but those were kids, I think they were like seven or eight. Uh, for them, because there are actual uh, children's yoga teachers. They're more specialized in it. Like, I just did a very basic, fun class, but there are proper... Um, children's yoga teachers but the for for kids they love it it's just like playing around again it kind of gets them uh, away from their devices you get some like breathing you just teach them simple breathing exercises you make them stretch it all like they all laugh at each other it's really cute
0: another thing i want to ask about is um do you since covid do you do a lot of your lessons uh, online or most of them face to face
1: So during the pandemic, um, interestingly, when COVID first hit, I was like, oh, my gosh, my job. 2020 turned into the busiest year for me because everyone went online. And suddenly I was able to teach even more classes because you're just going online back to back. Mm -hmm. So actually, it was a very busy year for me. So I did go online during COVID. um, But since the uh, pandemic has sort of fizzled out, a lot of my classes have become face to face again. There's like the odd one or two classes which are still online because actually it's just easier and more practical for for them. But I think people, if they can be face to face again, they are coming back face to face.
0: Really? Okay, that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And do you, so? Do you find teaching online difficult? Do the students find it, it easier or more difficult?
1: Um. Y- yeah. So there's pros and cons of both the online and in-person classes. So the benefit of being online is that it can be done anywhere. So, you know, I could be anywhere, the student can be anywhere. So long as you have a good internet connection, you're going to be able to have your class. Obviously, it was good during the pandemic when there was social distancing and you didn't really want to be in the same room as people. Um, You can do it in the comfort of your own home. So and it's cheaper because you don't have to commute uh, to a studio, for example. And it can be more private. Like if you're teaching a group of people, there are sometimes people who don't turn the camera on when you teach yoga. And they just, maybe they're a little bit more self-conscious for whatever reason. Um, So those are the benefits of doing yoga online, but then there's also benefits of doing yoga in person because you always have a better connection with people when you're face to face and not through a screen. I think that's, just
0: yeah, and you, can, um, you can you can see what they're doing more easily. You know, see if they're doing it right see, or about to yeah. hurt themselves or what have you.
1: And you can also help them with their poses. So you know, your yoga teacher will often come up to you and just push you a little bit deeper into a pose or help you. You know, just guide you a little bit more with their hands. So you can do that. And I would say there's also lower risk of injuries when you're teaching in person because you can see better because you can sort of guide them just that little bit better when you see them in person. And uh, you don't have to worry about technical issues because there's nothing worse than Internet dropping out. (laughs) And um, and also in a in a class or even in person or one on one, you get a better sense of the energy in the room. It's more social. If you're in a group class, you get that community feel. So there's benefits to both. Sure.
0: sure. All right. Let's move on to the actual yoga show, which you're going to. What what are you going to be doing there?
1: so i will be there on friday the 13th which is a scary sounding day friday the 13th of october so that's the first day of the show the show is as you mentioned earlier 13th to 15th which is a friday to a sunday in october and i will be teaching two classes one of them is sort of a workshop and it's uh, a paid class and the other one is a shorter class and it's free for all the attendees So the first class will be at 11.45 on the Friday, and it's a yoga to lengthen and strengthen workshop. And it's um, an additional 12 pounds per person. And it takes place in the, uh, I think it's called Palace Workshop, which is downstairs at the festival. So that's going to be an hour-long class, which will focus obviously on lengthening and strengthening your whole body in equal measures it will be uh, suitable for all levels so from beginners to advanced and i'll be giving modifications um, for, for everyone and then after that i will have another class at 2 30 p.m on the friday and that's called yoga to soothe so that would be a slower class than the class i do in the morning and that's um again it's free for everyone who's at the festival so if you know the festival it, it's in alexandra palace and they have s- several stages set up around the room i don't know maybe four four different stages and those are called open classes so it means that all day during the festival on those four stages simultaneously there are ongoing yoga classes talks little events that the attendees of the festival can go to right um So yeah, both classes should be pretty busy based on last year's turnout. So if people are interested in coming to the workshop, get your ticket now. And if people want to do the free class, just make sure you show up early because there's usually like a little line you have to line up to go in. Yeah,
0: Yeah. all right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure I'll see you then because I'm going to be there. I'm going to be exhibiting there and wandering around the exhibition. So uh, I look forward to seeing you uh, then. Uh, But for now, thank you very much indeed for chatting.
1: Thank
0: you very much for having me on. Let me just mention again, the free tickets available to the OM Yoga Show, which is at the Alexandra Palace in London from October 13th to 15th. Uh, If you want some free tickets, there are five pairs available for one day, although the whole event is over three days. Um, Send me an email saying why you want to go. And uh, the first five emails will um, be picked. Uh, So it's first come, first served. The email address to send them to is mine, which is Mike at RelaxBackUK.com. So um, it's an excellent event. Sarah Highfield, who we just heard from, will be there. I'll be there. I'll be interviewing and also exhibiting the backup chair. And the backup chair is a, a wonderful chair if you spend a lot of time sitting at your desk and you're worried about your posture or you suffer from back pain. It can really help with that. An awful lot, so do come along. You can try one out. I'll be exhibiting there. Next, the topic for today is heart valve health, and uh, the it's with consultant cardiologist Dr. Jonathan Byrne and also MP Steve McCabe. And he actually suffered from a heart valve problem. My first question to Dr. Byrne, Dr. Byrne, sorry, was: Is a heart attack different from a heart
2: valve? problem they definitely are uh, different mike so just to give you a bit, to give you an example they're both they're both plumbing problems so a heart attack is a plumbing problem with the blood supply the blood supply to the heart which supplies the heart muscle and they become blocked and that causes a heart attack a heart valve is a different structure heart valve allows blood to move around the heart and leave the heart and a heart valve problem presents in a slightly different way uh, but is is a is a is a blockage or narrowing of the valve allowing blood to move from one chamber to the other so when that valve becomes leaky or narrowed it it causes problems with the overall heart function and the patient develops symptoms such as breathlessness or um you know blackout dizziness etc so it's a it's a plumbing problem mechanical problem with the inlets of blood in and out of the heart chamber
0: okay so uh, do they tend to sort of go missed or get missed by by people and and doctors which is kind of why you're trying to um, definitely shout about them a bit more okay
2: so So they're definitely missed because because heart valve problems don't don't present in often don't present in quite the acute way that a heart attack would where a blocked artery causes chest pain the patient's very unwell heart valve problems develop over a long period of time so so if the valve becomes narrowed or leaky the patient develops symptoms over a period of months or even years so it's quite easy for them to ignore it or put it down to something else or not take it seriously And the way to pick it up and diagnose it is by listening to the heart. And of course, getting your heart listened to is not that easy these days because accessing GPs and accessing care is is harder.
0: Right. Right. okay. Um, Steve McCabe, MP, is just about to join us as well at this point. Hello there, Steve. Hi, how are you? So jo- Jonathan uh, and Steve, you two are old uh, drinking pals. Maybe not drinking pals, but you're old pals. You know right. each other, I think, don't you?
2: Yes, yes.
0: Yes. OK, right. So maybe this is a good point to ask the question. I I can get the reason why a consultant cardiologist is interested uh, in this stuff about heart valves. But Steve McCabe, MP for Celiocum in, in Birmingham, the it, it doesn't seem quite so obvious. What's What's your interest? Well, it's twofold. Uh,
3: I myself had a mitral valve repair uh, in 2012, so I've had the experience of being a, a heart valve patient, and uh, as a result of that, I've taken a keen interest in the the numbers of people who suffer from uh, heart valve problems and the the kind of things that can make it better in terms of treatment.
0: Right. We'll come on to that. I was just talking to Jonathan about how the thing is actually discovered in the first place, you know, because these these problems can kind of creep up on you over a number of years and you might not notice. So what what happened to you? How was it discovered as far as you were concerned?
3: Well, exactly. In my case, it was discovered as part of a a routine uh, medical. uh, uh, And actually, at the time, I wasn't particularly aware of any of the classic symptoms, you know, I wasn't feeling particularly tired on the fact that when I was tired, I put it down to, to work, and uh, I wasn't aware of being particularly breathless or having trouble climbing stairs, but I had a routine medical and uh, as part of that, I had the stethoscope test uh, which de- detected uh, a fairly distinctive
0: heart murmur. Right, so the, the point is the test has to be a stethoscope put on you and a doctor listening to it. There's no, there's no other fancy test or no way around that. Is that right, Jonathan?
2: Well, well, that's the basic entry point is listening to the heart. So there, there are, there are ways of diagnosing it without putting a stethoscope on the chest, but they rely on imaging tests, ultrasounds, um, or sometimes using some complex AI to pick it up. But the basic principle, is you can hear the problem. And if you if you don't get that screening, listen, uh, 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 stethoscope on the chest, it's often missed. And so, that's been the problem in the last few years, because obviously people getting a face to face appointment, with the GP is not not easy. And the GP is the gatekeeper. So that's been an un, underlies some of the reasons why. We have an under appreciation of heart valve disease in this country and it's been it's been diagnosed often late and and people come in fairly acute situations because it's diagnosed much later than it should be. So that's part of the problem.
0: Right. So if if you've got some of these symptoms, like breathless, walking upstairs, these kind of things that you describe, what 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 should we do? Call the GP and say what?
2: exactly that so so don't don't be uh, fobbed off by not following them up so breathlessness is a serious symptom it needs investigation it needs you know at the very least an assessment face to face and a series of tests okay. so again the severity of the disease can't be picked up just by you know listening you need to you need to get a couple of you need to get a scan done etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's about getting in through the front door to have your heart listened to to get seen okay.
0: All right. So Steve, let's go back to you. It was picked up. What happened next? You are you were kind of on the slab with an operation to rectify it uh, within what days or weeks? How did it work? Uh no, I mean
3: I, I think I was very fortunate. I think the health service was in slightly better condition back in 2012. Um, so as I say, it was picked up in a routine. Medical, um, I went to see my own GP then to have them uh, confirm it. And I was referred to a consultant at the uh, Queen Elizabeth Hospital, the UHB in Birmingham. Uh, and the cardiologist uh, did a, a series of additional tests, uh, as Jonathan has mentioned there, uh, and uh, was able to show me on a, a simulation on a computer screen exactly what was happening and um, he basically said that I had a couple of choices that uh, I could be put on medication but there was a risk that the condition my heart may deteriorate uh, and I may end up needing surgery or I could be assessed for surgery there and then obviously it was open heart surgery and it was quite a Big operation and it was something I had to consider. Um, but they were very good about it. They gave me time to prepare. Uh, they booked me in. Uh, and uh, I had the, I actually had the surgery um, a couple of months later because at that uh, stage, um, although I had a clear problem with my
0: mitral valve, it, it wasn't uh, critical. So... I know Jonathan needs to go. So, a quick question to him: What what brings this on? Is it just like we're unlucky in our genes, or what have you, or is it because we got a stressful job? Like in, in Steve's case, you know, being an MP isn't exactly a walk in the park. It's a serious, stressful job. What what brings it this on?
2: So, it depends on the type of valve disease. So, if you look at Steve's valve problem, it was a leaking mitral valve, and and that's. The valve that allows blood to come into the heart pump through the atrium. And that can degenerate for a number of reasons, usually because there's a weakness in one part of it that over time gets weaker and weaker. So throughout adult life, you can have a slightly weakened mitral valve. And then once it gets once it gets to a certain stage, it just starts to degenerate and become even more leaky and cause problems with the heart, but the breathing. Other valve problems, the aortic valve being the obvious one occur as one gets older you get calcium deposits on the valve uh, the valve becomes restricted and narrowed and restricts the flow of blood out of the heart and as i said that age is a big a big driver of that but in some people are born with an abnormal valve to begin with and they develop it at a much younger age so if the valve is not constructed normally it fails quicker it narrows and fails quicker so often it's a combination of these things a combination of being born with something abnormal to begin with or developing degeneration of that power as you get a bit older. And the reasons for that are complex. But age is a big driver, so it's a, it's a disease which affects people as they get older.
0: If you're diagnosed, is it is it too late? If you change your ways, not drink quite so much, do more exercise, et cetera, all the things we're told about with high blood pressure, uh, yeah. is it like, sorry, pal, it's too late, on the slab?
2: Funnily enough, it, it's, it's not generally a lifestyle-associated problem. Right. So most of the things that we see in cardiology are due to sort of too much smoking, too much eating, et cetera. But valve disease is one of those that isn't. Um, it's one of those things that can occur, it, you know, out of the blue in fairly healthy people. And just to, just to add to the time, the way that it's treated is varied as well. So Steve had an operation 10 years ago, but there's a whole range of new treatments, keyhole treatments, which mean people do not have to have, major open heart surgery it can be done you know under under a local anaesthetic you know from the leg uh, so these new procedures have also opened up this possibility of treatment to people who otherwise might have been considered too far down the path or too yeah. high risk so there's okay. a whole host of people being treated for this condition now that, that wouldn't have done before so okay. it's a very exciting important time for heart valve disease and, and important we get the message out that you know you can be treated
0: Okay, so the message is if you feel unwell, if you have those symptoms, give your GP a call and uh, don't be too scared of the potential treatment because it's uh, it's it's quicker, faster and uh, leaves you in better shape. The recovery time is much less.
2: Definitely. Don't underestimate symptoms. Always act on the symptoms and push the GP, push your primary care physician to see you, to examine you, to put you forward, to push you forward for the test. That's the message. It's all very treatable.
0: I know. I know you. You need to go to see some patients. So please, let have me to just, wait for
2: a little bit longer. So, yeah. okay,
0: all right. Let me let it me take a Steve,
2: little
0: bit longer. Let me let me bring Steve back in.
2: Yeah.
0: Who? So you 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 went through this. You had the operation, and you feel much better for it. And you you know you've had a a a busy, productive life for the last ten years.
3: Yeah, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, I I made a, a full recovery, and so I would certainly you know, urge anyone to go uh, and have treatment. Obviously, as Jonathan says, there are much uh, better treatments. Now, I did have open heart surgery and it was quite a a lengthy, maybe, you know, three to six months uh, period of recuperation before I was back to being fully fit. But uh, a couple of years ago, I saw an 85-year-old man have a, a transcatheter procedure at St. Thomas's hospital, it took about 35, 40 minutes, and he was <laughs> back on his
0: allotment in three weeks. That's right. And who did, did you do that, Jonathan? Were you were you the no, guy no. at the controls then?
2: No, it was just Thomas's team, but you know, he's absolutely you know, Steve's absolutely right. It's a it's a transformative procedure. It's high uh, elderly LD patients high, you know, 35-40 minutes and up and walking four hours later it's it's even quicker now Steve so five four or five years ago it was even more involved so they're out of hospital within 24 hours on in most cases and back up walking around in a few days so it's a really really good effective safe treatment with low risks
0: and it's a no-brainer really because if you don't have the treatment you will carry on (laughs) getting more and more breathless you won't be able to move and in the end actually it's going to kill you
2: Yeah. So that just the mortality that that if you do not have treatment, particularly with the aortic bowel disease, the mortality with severe aortic stenosis is about 50 percent of one year. So half the people will be dead without treatment within a year. So there's a time dependency to it as well. It's very important that we stress that quick, effective treatment.
0: Do not put it off. Give your GP a call. Uh, Now, this is interesting because I last week, because I knew I was going to do this call. Uh, I I called my GP as a test um, and said look I'm getting to this age uh' I'm, fi- I'm 57 you know I suffer high blood pressure I haven't had anyone listen to my heart for years and um, they took it very seriously uh, as far as the blood pressure was concerned but still I've had no one listen to my heart no. um so w- which worried me slightly actually con- considering so uh, maybe I should be giving my GP another call.
2: Maybe you should. I mean I think the the problem the problem as Steve says, the health service is under huge pressure and I saying not to blame GPS because their workload is extremely high and they're short staff. so the number of face-to-face appointments is limited. That's a problem. That's a problem for pe- people you know in their middle age who want to checkup because you really need, face-to-face review you need to be examined you need to have a you know a blood pressure check in person so that's a big problem uh and and the solution is is giving them more time and having more gps to do the job
0: yeah that 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 might be a topic for another show actually yeah because i know that is not simple i always like to talk about health and 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 the nhs on this show but maybe we should do that another time uh, but either way look jonathan thank you so much uh for chatting and and Steve thank you for coming and telling us your story and uh, now it's really good to see uh, that you are fighting fit because let's face it MPs do need to be fighting fit very often <laughs> well as i see i'm very grateful for the treatment i received and uh, i think i'm in pretty good shape yeah well i can i can see you you're you're in your car doing this call now you look you look um, uh, in fine fettle so uh, both of you steve and jonathan Thank you very much indeed for chatting about this important topic.
2: Thank you, Mike.
0: You're welcome. Thank you very much to my guests on this week's show. And they were yoga teacher Sarah Highfield, MP Steve McCabe and Dr. Jonathan Byrne talking about heart valve health. A big thank you as ever to you for listening and have a healthy week until next week. Thanks for listening to the Relax Back UK show. Join me, Mike Dilk, again next week for more fascinating interviews and chat. If you're listening to the podcast version, please subscribe, like and share it with your family and friends. And have a healthy week. Until next week.